there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Lion Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be. Welcome to a new episode. My name's Steve Mastor. This is White Lion Fever, and our guest who's been on two previous shows is uh, Luke Morley. I'm confusing the hell out of him with all this, but Luke, I'll be more less esoteric this time. So... Um, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, um, the union? What happened to the the band, the union? Is it a possibility of you guys working together again? What's the story there? Uh, well, probably not because Thunder is, is like a monster. It's so time-consuming. I, I, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a big beast that takes over all their lives. So chances are probably a little bit slim. Um, right. Sorry about that, but I've got another interview. It was supposed to have started two minutes ago. So okay. Okay, cool. Um, very quickly, why don't you tell us about your first trip to Vegas, uh, and then and then we'll play that song, and then we'll be done. Uh, it wasn't actually Vegas; it was LA. LA. Okay, tell us yeah. about the Sin City first. Trip. Yeah, myself and Danny went over to America in 1988 on a kind of fact finding mission because you know obviously we were in a band and it was a bit sort of the scene was very kind of dead in the UK in the in the late eighties. Um, so we went over there and went went to Los Angeles and uh, walked up and down Sunset Strip and we saw all these kind of kids spilling out in the clubs, hanging out on the pavement. And it was amazing because, you know, all the boys looked like girls, all the girls looked, looked like, well, everybody looked like girls. It was a bit difficult to kind of comprehend for an Englishman. Um, but they, you know, very kind of, uh, well, sort of androgynous, but sort of uh, glamorous. And there was all this fantastic music um, belting out of these clubs. Uh, and... That was the first time I heard Guns N' Roses and thought, oh, well, they're good. They're a proper rock and roll band. I mean, I wasn't looking back. I wasn't a fan of a lot of those kind of, I suppose, hair rock bands like Poison and stuff. But Guns N' Roses were the real deal. And um, But it was, the fact is, the fact is this whole kind of scene and people hanging out listening to rock music. And that kind of, I think we both found that very energising. And we came back from that trip and that's when Thunder started. So, you know, obviously it was inspirational in some way. And the song you wrote about it is? Uh, going to Sin City. You're right. 
Pete. And this is Luke, and we're from the Union, and you're listening to White Lion Fever. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the program. And um, this next guest, we're going to discuss something, even if you're not, you don't know much about the band or you're not into the genre, it's still a fascinating story because uh, this band, Halloween, uh, you know, power metal legends from Germany, about three or four years ago, they got some former members back in the band and they went on a world tour and they had three singers, okay, three singers, um, and, um, and, and they, they played big arenas and then COVID happened and all that. But what they've done now is they've recorded an album with three singers and with the current members of uh, the band um, and, and, some, and some members from their uh, early um, a part of their careers, some um, almost 40 years ago. Don't want to make our guests feel old, but welcome uh, to the show for the second time. Uh, he doesn't remember last time he was on, but I do. Uh, Marcus <laughs> from Halloween. How are you, Marcus? How are you? Hello, hello. Nice to nice to talk to you again. I'm fine. I'm really good. Um, but this is three or four years ago already. You know, I yes. tell you, time time's flying. <laughs> yeah. So so you know, um, where do I start? I mean, this record, which you which is always ambitious when you do a self titled record and you're many years into your career, it speaks of ambition just by doing that. Um. And it was recorded quite some time ago. How long ago was it recorded? I mean, this was when we when we uh, finished the tour. That was December eighteen, was that? Mm-hmm. Wasn't it? Uh, we had a couple of months for writing and collecting ideas, and yeah, and the in the autumn or winter time in of eighty. Uh, in the same year, I mean, I have time problems with all that <laughs> waiting of coro- waiting because of Corona. I mean, what was the year we stopped the tour? Eighteen? Uh, uh, no, twenty. Well, I, I think I think you you were on you were doing the tour in seventeen and eighteen. Eighteen. The, yeah. the tour stopped eighteen end of eighteen, and in the end of nineteen, we started the recordings into the twentieth. Yeah. Into wow. twenty, into twenty, and then you know we had some months of collecting ideas, writing songs, and stuff like this. So it's kind of a long time ago for me, and I get crazy with times because of the Corona thing. But it took quite a while. We get prepared, collecting ideas, and hooking up together, choosing what song, what songs we're going to take for the album. Which was, you know, we we were not only three singers; we're also five songwriters in the yes. band. And it's never easy to to know to to choose what songs you're going to take because you cannot you cannot really put everything on on the record. You know that's why it's a very long record. We thought we have a, a lot of cool songs and a lot of cool songwriters makes it gives it a big variety of different stuff on the record. Having loads of songwriters, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm really interested in the interpersonal relationships. Like, I was just thinking then, it's almost like um, if you had a party, and like, because I've heard, you know, the band compared to a marriage, if you had a party and you invited all your ex-girlfriends along, would they all be, <laughs> would they all be exactly the same people when they're around each other? Or would you learn more about them, even if you thought you knew them very well, you'd still, I suspect you would learn more about them by putting them all in a room together, and you've been there the whole time, Marcus. So, was that the case? Did you do you learn? You're learning more about your close friends, even all these years later. Even well, yeah. Are you talking about getting all the people back in? Yeah, in, yeah. And then into you, the Halloween room. It was very interesting because it was loads of years ago. We separated, and people change, and 
you know, time time is always also changing people's minds, and they get a lot a lot of a lot more cooler. And we 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 thought it would just be a cruel idea not even to try getting back together after all those years and trying a new start. You know, also the idea was. You know why? Why firing? Most of the bands are making a reunion, are firing two people and get two pe two old new people back in, which which is in our case it was like it would would have been a shame firing a, a very good singer and a very good guitar player to replace to be replaced by another very good singer and another very good guitar player <laughs> and songwriter. It's, so our idea was to extend the whole thing. With two more persons coming into the party, and no, and you know, don't throw anybody out of the room. <laughs> we yeah. thought it's going to be very, very interesting. And as Andy totally agreed with that idea, as a singer, we said, "Well, just give it a give it a, give it a try, you know, give it a go." And it was it, it was working very, very well. We found out uh, during the tour because. It, 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 it the understanding was great and we felt great hooking up together hanging hanging around together for a year on the tour it it, it was just functioning you know it was a very very uh, normal feeling a very familiar feeling and and that gave us the idea that we could go back into the studio work together on the creative side you know yeah, yeah. There's so many examples, isn't there? Like I'm thinking Kiss Unplugged, and I'm thinking Guns and Roses. Not in this lifetime. And uh, anyway, um, let's have a, let's have a song. Um, uh, there, Marcus. What can we play first? Oh, I uh, as at the moment, Angel is one of my favorites. So, but it changes every day. <laughs> I've had a dream about forgiveness. But I hear the angels say The emotions were Devil in disguise 
forgiveness. All right, this is Marcus, the bass beater from Halloween, and you're listening to White Line Fever, and stay tuned. I like it. Welcome back to the second part of our interview with Jeff Pilsen from The End Machine. And um, for those of you watching, thank you for watching, and sorry for the late start. Um, Jeff, I, I was really interested to hear that you you actually have, you can now control uh, George's uh, home studio by remote control. Um, that's right. Is that, that's a weird thing. Can you explain to us how that works? Sure. Well, there's a program, it's called Audio Movers for you technical people, um, where uh, by placing it in George's session, you know, in, in his, by using, it's a plugin, by using it in his session, through an Ethernet cable and through my internet connection, I'm able to get that audio in my studio. Now, is it the same quality as actually being there? No. It's, it's, it's inferior to that. But it's a hell of a, it's a lot better than using Skype, which, you know, is what would be the alternative before that. So basically, we would talk on Spike, Skype uh, to communicate, and then I would be hearing his studio in my studio through that program. And, and you know, again, is it ideal? No. But did it work great? Yes. Yeah. And as a producer and also a member of the band, I guess in sports, it'll be like being the captain and the coach. You know, you, you kind of, you kind of got, got to be close, but not too close. And you have to suddenly sometimes pull rank. Is that a difficult balance to, to find? Not, not with the musicians that I tend to work with. Um, no, I mean, everybody's pretty cool. I mean, you know, there's, there's very, it's very rare where I have to say, no, 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 we got to do this. It's very, very rare. Most of the time, common consensus is found. I find that that's when things are the strongest. Um, you know, is, is when, when George and Robert and I all came to an agreement on something, you know, lyrically, chorus-wise, melody-wise, whatever, um, I knew it was a good idea. So um, that's what I, that's my goal, is to try and find common consensus. Uh, and always to try and provide uh, a, back, um, uh, a backdrop of the right atmosphere to do that. So, um, you know, you have to let people do their thing. Um, and we all, you know, we all have good ideas and we all have stupid ideas, <laughs> you know, just, that's just how it works. Um, so, you know, I like a fertile breeding ground for ideas. Um, and then, and then if that can be steered into a situation where you have common consensus, I find that that's when the strongest ideas happen. Your, um, your drummer is, uh, Steve Brown, which is Mick's, uh, son. Um, is that... No, no, younger sorry. brother. Your younger brother. Sorry, sorry, younger brother. Sorry. Um, how, how, is it, how similar are they? Um, God, frighteningly, frighteningly. <laughs> I mean, I was, I mean, I've known Steve since he was 15. Right. Um, and, um, anyway, um, I knew he was a good drummer. I knew he was a really good drummer. And, you know, I've, I'd seen, you know, we watched videos and we knew he, he was a pro and he'd done all that stuff. I knew he could sing, but then when we got in the studio and he actually started playing, I was just shocked at how much it feels like Mick Brown. I mean, I close my eyes and it's Mick Brown, you know, <laughs> on the glass. It really is. And when he sings, he's got the same kind of timbre in his voice. It's just amazing. Um, so, I mean, we scored. We, we got the perfect guy in the band. We just did. You know, if Mick Brown's going to retire, we have absolutely, we have the most Brown DNA of anybody else in the world. <laughs> so, so if you do do an, another docket album, I'll talk about that after the, um, the next song, but 
you're just going to sub one person in and one person out? Is that the most likely scenario? And, and how will oh, the music God. then be different, you know? Well, um, I, I don't know is the answer to that. I mean, there, because there's no concrete plans for a docking situation, you know, we haven't really talked about it. I haven't spoken with Mick about it. I know he's very happy. I have spoken with him not that long ago, and he's very happy in retirement and has no plans on coming back. But that being said, who knows if Dokken were to happen, maybe he'd be able to do it. I don't, I don't know. He's, he's physically capable of it. Um, so it's a question of whether he wanted to, and we'll see. When you're, um, uh, we'll have another song in a second, but when you're doing these um, interviews, I guess some musicians don't think about this and others do. Um, you know, do, are you thinking about, you know, how do you break that glass ceiling but that stands between people who still follow new rock and, and the, the, the fans of Dokken and the fans of Foreigner, you know, who, who, who don't listen to new rock. Um, you know, how do you, how do you reach... You've, you've got one audience over here, which is huge, and you would love to take this thing, new thing, over to them and let them know about it. And how do you do it? How do you, you know... How well, do you the idea it? is through guys like you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and through interviews. Um, but, you know, you, you raise a, a, a critical question that we talk about all the time is how can we improve promoting? Because you're right, there's obviously a lot of foreigner fans in the UK. There's a, a lot of, there was a good amount of docking fans in the UK. And I'm Australian, uh, I, so lots in Australia as well. Oh, you're in Australia? I'm Australian. No, I'm in London because it's the middle of oh, London. That's but what I'm, I thought. I'm an, I'm an Australian, so yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, Sorry, that was my. I've got some guitars being fixed, and that's the guy fixing them. Anyway, um, but uh, what was I going to say? Oh, um, how do you reach these people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the conundrum. You know, you have to always. I mean, we all know that you know the older you get, the less likely you are to buy new records. You know, mm. understandable. You know, you have a life now. You you like the music you have, whatever. Um, but. I also find that when even when people like that hear new music, they tend to go, hey, this is cool, I like it. And so it's really a question of exposure. I mean, you're not going to get every single one of those people to buy your new record, but I have a feeling if there were a lot more exposure, you could get several more. And, you know, that's the goal, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, if anybody has any miracle ideas, please <laughs> let me know, because I'd love to know. But um, that is the, that's the conundrum. Let's have another song. Okay. What do you want to play, Jim? Oh, okay. Um, let's try the song Plastic Heroes. Yep, cool. I, I love that song, and I love what it says.
price A hollow existence Is based on hype Jeff Pilsen of Foreigner, Dokken, Dio, you name it, I was in it. Anyways, you're listening to my friend Steve Mascord on White Line Fever. Okay, um, welcome back to the program. Um, and this is the second part of our interview with Scott Ginn. Scott, welcome back. Um, I Now, we moved, we, you just talked about going to see um, Led Zeppelin at the Sydney Showground, which is a famous show. It was on there. Um, DVD box set released maybe ten years ago now, maybe maybe even more. Um, um, what and that changed your life? How did so? You I read that you went and got a guitar, and there was a sale on at the store, and so you actually got musical instruments for the whole family. Um, um, and 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 then and then what? It was into it was into covers. It was into uh, performing covers bands. Yeah, yeah. So I had a a, a friend that that. Um, we were in a soccer team together and and he picked up a bass and I had the guitar and we just started jamming in his bedroom with very loud amps and his parents were very um, kind to suffer our torturous sound. I clearly remember the first song that we ever played together was Credence's Proud Mary. And, um, yeah, and we were listening to... Things like, well, we were listening to Black Sabbath, Master Reality, um, Grand Funk Railroad albums, that sort of stuff. And, of course, Zeppelin and Deep Purple. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so that, that became what? You're old enough to go into pubs now and, uh, and, and, you're, and you're sort of gigging around the place. And, and what was it like? I mean, I remember a, a live scene in Sydney that was very different to the way things are now. Um, can you paint a picture for us of what it was like when you got into the pubs and you started gigging in Sydney? 
Well, it's actually, it's even sort of one step back from that, which was, um, so as sort of 15, 16 year olds, just sort of trying to learn and being most influenced by whatever was around, the scene was was really um, what they were called like Friday night dances. And they were, and there was a whole rather, and, and often under 18, so, so focused on, you know, for, for younger kids, the underage, uh, you know, not drinking age. And, and so they would generally be held at um, town halls, um, civic centres, that sort of thing. So we were, our local haunt was Lane Cove Town Hall and we would see Finch there, um, I think early Ted Mullow gang, um, maybe John English, uh, Hush, that sort of thing, yeah. Uh, Buffalo and Buffalo was a, an influencer on us, sort of as I got a little bit older. Mm, yeah, yeah. And um, I guess when we were kids watching Countdown, um, I think it was uh, you know on, on a Sunday night, wasn't it? Um, um, that we couldn't imagine what it would be like to be on stage, kind of singing. We didn't know that they were miming, um, you know, in, in that studio audience. And and I just watched a video before we did this interview with the Breakers, and um, and you even I think it, the song was actually called When I'm on TV. Uh, and you were on TV and the camera was actually part of the the sort of... They were always very creative with their production, weren't they, on Countdown? And they actually had a camera directly in front of you uh, on stage. Um, I mean, what was that like in, in being on Countdown? I mean, what happens the next day, you know, when you, did your phone start ringing to your parents? You know, your parents must go crazy that all their friends see you on TV. What, what was that like? I guess it was... I mean, I suppose we would we'd probably... You know, we'd been watching Countdown for several years, so it was like, yeah, finally we're going to get to do this, and it, and definitely it, and and I guess I think I was just maybe twenty one or twenty two at the time, and uh, um, um, maybe a little bit older. Uh, can't do the sums, but anyway, um, it was it was the sort of first big you know big TV thing for me to do, and it was it was very exciting. Um, um, and you know, it all goes very, very quickly. <laughs> you know, three minutes of, of fame. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, but it, but um, no, look, it was just it, it was great. And um, the 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 countdown machinery the, it was a very slick machine. How they ran it, and like you you said, um, they got quite creative. That that breakers clip, they sort of did some footage, some pre footage with Gerald and myself as the guitarist, um, to set that sort of the T V mode thing up and um, with the girl watching the T V and then had the actual live performance for the most part of the, the clip. Yeah, yeah. And is it in the middle is it in the middle of the day? I mean, you know, do you interact with the with the audience, the studio audience at all or um, no, no, you sort of get a call out and you're you sort of you're on. You, from memory, we, yeah, we had a yeah, you have a run through first, mm -hmm. um, so you know what's going to be happening. Um, but when it happens, it all happens pretty solid. And um, oh, it, it was it's recorded. It was recorded on a Saturday night, um, Saturday af late afternoon, and then went to air on a Sunday night. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, the breakers also appeared in Puberty Blues, which is again. You know, you got. We've already hit three kind of you know major touchstones of of a lot of people's youth. We've got Led Zeppelin at the Sydney Showground, and, and we've got Countdown, and now we've got now we've got Puberty Blues, the film. Um, yeah. What was that like? Uh, that was 
good fun too. Um, that was, um, I mean, our involvement was just um, one uh, night set up at Caring Bar Inn, um, which was completely appropriate, seeing the whole thing was set around the Cronulla area. Um, and they set the thing up just like a like a gig, basically, and um, um, and then we just uh, mimed to the couple of songs that we did, and uh, you know that was and the footage, the short excerpts were taken from that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to, um, you know, I, I don't want to sort of get bogged down in just getting you to go over old memories for for ages. Um, but but. But you know you've got some like touring like that Iron Iron Maiden tour when you were in Boss, that was the Iron Maiden tour when they they played quite small venues, wasn't it? Um, in fact, I just mentioned I mentioned uh, I mentioned Shell Harbour Workers uh, earlier, and I think Iron Maiden actually played Shell Harbour Workers, and they're playing significantly bigger places overseas. Was that the tour they that you opened for, or was it a later tour? Yeah, you're spot on, um, but. The, the the city centres were all your conventional, um, so you know it was Horden Pavilion, Sydney, um, Newcastle Civic Centre, the Brisbane, forgotten what the place was there. Festival um, Hall, uh, Festival Hall, that's right, and um, um, yeah, the Melbourne one again. It's just going to escape me what what it was, but we played Canberra Theatre, I think it was the first night. Mm-hmm. And the odd one was was the Shell Harbour's Workers Club, <laughs> and it was real. Um, they just it was sort of thrown. I've still got the program. I'm sure it was sort of just thrown it and at the end sort of thing as an extra night sort of in between. And it was really funny, kind of arriving at the gig from early for sound check, <laughs> and the roadies had literally because it just, the stage just wasn't big enough to accommodate that huge set that they had, and. Um, there was this whole extra stage that had been built out just to try and get the band on there. So uh, it was good. Yeah, yeah. So um, and um, let's have another song, I guess. Uh, we're, we're more than ten minutes in now. Um, um, what what, uh, uh, what 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 song can we play now? Um, we might do something from the Rags and Riches Shipwreck album. I think called That's Life.
Scott Ginn from Rags and Riches and Maz XT, and you're listening to and watching White Line Fever with Steve Mascot. Welcome back. And it's the second part of our interview with Pete Jupp from FM. I want to thank him for joining us. I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about the hiatus, like 1995 to 2007. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, now, to me, in 1995, AOR music was kind of considered soundtrack music. You know, you yeah, yeah. wouldn't imagine that it had its own scene. Did that kind of play a role in the, the band breaking up because there didn't seem to be a market for it any, anymore with grunge and everything yeah. like that? Well, when, when the grunge thing came in, I mean, we just became so unfashionable. It was untrue. And, and, it, and it really was. It was like, I just don't think we can... We were kind of going backwards, mm. really. Um, like I say, we didn't fall out. Um, it was just literally, oh, I just don't think there's a market for this kind of music at the moment, you know, or whether there will be again. Um, and, and that's pretty much what it was. Yeah. So we took, you know, we took the hiatus and uh, luckily um, Kieran Dargan pestered us to do the Firefest. And, uh, well, I suppose the rest is history kind of thing, you know. <laughs> so, so tell me what it's like to show up there on the night. I guess you've been told stories about it. But to see that this thing, which used to be considered 80s commercial music and, yeah. and, and, and like I said, slow motion soundtrack music, I'm not yeah. holding you, but that's the way oh, it was no. considered. Yeah, yeah. Totally, that's what yeah. it was considered in the mid-90s. Yeah. Um, and then to see it's, it's turned into an underground scene. I mean, what was that like to, to, to have this, you know, this revelation, you know? Well, when, when we got back to do the Firefest, um, we couldn't do a warm-up show. We just had to do... We weren't allowed to contractually. We just had to do the, you know, the, the gig, which was, you know, nerve-wracking enough. Um, and we had no plans for after the show. It was just, we'll just do the one show. We'll have a good time. We hopefully won't embarrass ourselves too much kind of thing. And we, we honestly thought if 200 people turn up, that's a real result, you know. Mm. But we sold out 1,500 people, Nottingham Rock City. And... Honestly, this sounds really cliched and, and stuff, but you could feel the love coming from the audience mm. for the band. I mean, I was sat at the back and I was filling up kind of thing yeah. just for, for, from the emotion. Yeah and, yeah. and we came off stage and it, you know, it went well and we were shell-shocked. You know, it was like, bloody hell, we're going to have to do an album now. We'll have to for these <laughs> people. And that was it. We, you know, we hadn't thought any, you know, any way past, you know, just getting to that last... <laughs> of the set you know um and then it just kind of just snowballed from there and i we went my wife's in the background here and um, we went to one of the subsequent fire fests it was after they changed the name became something else but but i was really interested that aor has now gone off in different directions you know what i mean hasn't there's now some stuff that is new it's new music it's almost a new it's an evolving genre isn't it it doesn't sound right. exactly the same as it did in no, no, no. which people no, no. don't understand i don't think you know no i mean you know ar was always like melody melodic stuff wasn't it you know and, and that's what we've always tried to do you know when we've written the chorus it's always got to be a big chorus lots of melody kind of thing but i just think um yeah it, it is evolving but there's still the melody there you mm. know and it's you know, the melody is the king. It's, it's king, isn't it? Kind of. I always say chorus is king. I don't know. There's the same. I can't remember what it is because I'm old and stupid. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Those crazy Scandinavians. The things that they're doing with it are uh, very interesting. Let's have uh, let's have another uh, song there, Pete. What can we play for the song? 
let's go for one of the more obscure ones that we didn't that we didn't play live. Uh, can you hear me calling? up from FM and you are listening to White Line Fever. Welcome back to uh, White Line Fever, the <laughs> third part of our interview with Kelly Nichols. I want to thank him for being with us. Kelly, I just wondered, like, are you someone who 
I mean, it, people have become quite obsessed with the era. Um, the LA Guns, uh, you know, um, were, were very prominent and very influential. In as someone who's part of it, are you are you as wistful and nostalgic as we are? Do you, do you spend time looking at look you know looking at souvenirs of the road and looking at old old albums and videos, or do you like just straight ahead? You know, do you are you how how interested in your legacy are you? Um, you know, I'm proud of it. I'm not, I don't like to sit there and look at, uh, look at us, look at myself all day, or, <laughs> you know, really look at that. I feel like, uh, you know, had a lot, had a lot of it already. So I don't really need to, um, uh, you know, I'm not super nostalgic about it. I mean, I'll, I'll see a picture that I, I haven't seen or a picture I've never seen uh, on, uh, you know, internet or Facebook or something like that, which is kind of cool. So, you know, stuff I haven't seen um, is interesting. Um, but, you know, no, I don't dwell on the past too much. I'm really looking forward to the future and really wanted to, um, you know, make a cool record try to be hip, you know, there's so many songs out today, it's hard to try to be fresh and creative. Uh, so that was like the biggest hurdle, but I feel like um, everything's fresh and it's got a good vibe be between the mix of the old band and the new blood, the new guys, Kurt and uh, Scott. So that was a lot of fun. And yeah, it was a great experience writing it and everything. Uh, best best uh, recording experience I've had ever had because uh, I actually had some say in it this time. And, uh, you know, it's cool to just be doing it still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, when you were doing all that other stuff and doing that 25 years, uh, how many times, like, did you completely separate yourself from music? Like, was music always part of your life? Or did you, I know you've got this... Uh, uh, you know, the, the Montauk um, Salvage Company, which we should give a plug to. It's a design and photography and really cool stuff like that. Did you, did you completely shut yourself off from music? Uh, did you find yourself getting recognised in the street a lot? You know, what, what was that period like and, and how different is it to, to, to your sort of mind um, frame now, you know? Yeah, no, I never like, uh, I never got, you know, I, I mean, like I always had a bass and a guitar laying around the house or something. And uh, I, I jammed with some friends through the years, you know, just, just, uh, just, uh, you know, having some fun. But to, uh, to get into a serious project again, I just wasn't interested. I, I wasn't, um, I didn't really like hang out with a lot of other musicians at the time. So I didn't really... I don't know, make connections and stuff like that, you know. Um, and it's just like so much work to, you know, to to, to get back into it. Um, I just never, I just really didn't have the energy or the drive to do it. Almost, I couldn't even go into a club for a long time just because the smell and just, it just, it just takes me back that I, I just, I couldn't even... Um, uh, want to deal with any any of it, you know? But I enjoyed playing. I like I said, I had a bass around. I would pick it up. I play acoustic. I like to jam a little bit, even you know. Um, and then I taught some kids that were in the neighborhood, and uh, they won their battle of the bands. So uh, you know, it's always like it's always like right there, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's the one thing I guess a lot of people remember you for. But it's but when when it's you, it's 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 only a small part of your day. You know what I mean. But but it but it yeah. resonates with all the people, all the strangers you encounter. It's what what resonates. I, I read 
I read, well, I heard, I listened to an interview before where you could have been in garbage, but you didn't show up to the... Uh, to right. The <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if, like, um, for guys, particularly in LA Guns, when you look at Guns N' Roses and you look at their, um, and some other bands, not just LA Guns, and you look at um, their success and you look at their back catalogue and you look at their soap opera as well, do you look at them and go, well, they were just amazing, they were always going to be huge, or do you look at them, you know, they're, they're the representative of the scene that survives today, right? They're the biggest representative yeah. of the scene. Or do you do you see luck as part of their story as well, you know, that the timing and all that sort of stuff? I mean, you were around them, you know, you used to hang out with Stephen, you saw them play clubs. So when you look at them now on TV or on YouTube, do you go, they're brilliant, they deserve everything they've got, or do you think, well, they were lucky as well, you know? Yeah, no, we used to uh, used to hang out with Duff quite a bit too, um, and uh, and 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 was becoming friends with Steve uh, Stephen Adler and stuff. But uh, uh, you know, I think they're uh, amazing and they deserve everything that they got. And um, you know, they 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 really uh, you know I'm happy for them, of course. Um, what about what about um, LA Guns? Were there a, was there a sliding door? Most people in bands or in most walks of life they've got a sliding door moment in their mind that if we if we did that one thing that one time then we could have been more mm. successful do, do you have some stories like that you know yeah i think that's uh, i think it's like baseball you get three strikes and you're out i think that we had um with ballad jane came out and that was that was successful that did really well that we didn't follow it up with um a different single we had the song um over the edge which was in the movie point break here mm -hmm. um in, in america and that was like a big movie and we had a song in there um so we you know we're like why don't we you know do that song mm -hmm. i mean you know there's so many things that happened like bella the chain even barely made it on the record you know so mm -hmm. like record company didn't care management didn't care half the band didn't care and it just ended up like you know I got it on there, but it's just so, everything is just so close that, yeah, 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 you get, I feel like you get three mistakes like in baseball and you're out. So, you know, not following up Ballad of Jane with a better song, it just didn't make any sense, but you you kind of like, you don't, you, we don't have all the power, you know, so mm -hmm. you have to, you have to go with their judgment too sometimes and, you know, but it it's, um, it's, yeah. That's weird. <laughs> okay. So we'll finish up. We'll get another song off you, but I just wondered if I could uh, ask you one more question. I'm trying to remember what it is. What is, in 2020, oh, that's a bad year, let's say 2021, what, what's success for, for you and for LA Guns? What, what, is, what does success mean? Uh, you know, I already feel blessed. So, you know, for us, it's just, uh, you know, just grateful to have this project, to be, in a, to be in a band with some very cool people who really get it that uh you know it is what it is but we we all did uh you know work, worked pretty hard to get this thing going we had seven days to record it we had uh two days of pre-production two days to mix it one day to master it so so you know all the work was done uh in advance as much and everybody did their homework and when it came time to record it everybody knew their parts and we you know we worked on it to the last second so you know we're super proud of it um I've done all the artwork for it 
so I'm, I'm already feel happy. You know, I mean, we got a record deal without asking or begging for one. So <laughs> we're you know, pretty grateful. It just came out of the, the blue. So, um, you know, that we wouldn't be here probably. We wouldn't be talking about any of this if there wasn't this record done. So we're lucky that we did it before, you know, this year. And uh, we had it in the can. And um, so let's play Crawl by L.A. Guns. <laughs>
white line fever. Going down, land down under. Going to turn around the corner, way down yonder. <laughs> but I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore. <laughs> Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever and Dig. You get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck. That's what I say, okay? <laughs> come on down and rock on.